When I first started working on the podcast, I knew I wanted to interview a homeschooling mom who could speak to all that's coming to us younger moms on this journey. And Leslie, well, she was the first person to pop in my head. We became friends at church through our mutual friend, Emily, who actually, she deserves a shout out herself as she pre-listens to every episode of The Commonplace to help me better serve this audience. So, hey, thanks, Em. Anyway, Leslie and I grew a friendship quickly through sharing our favorite Narnia quotes in the church fellowship hall, and by discussing classical education, writing, and motherhood on city rooftops and in backyards. Her wisdom has been a gift in my life, and it's my sincere pleasure to share our podcast conversation with you today. As we recorded this in late June at her kitchen table, there are a few things to note. First, you will occasionally hear some exciting sounds, mainly the fireworks outside and her dog Pevensey. Yes, like the high kings and queens of Narnia. Second, the audio quality is not the best, but you can hear us. Side note, I actually didn't learn that you have to choose which mic you'd like to use when you plug in until right before episode 9. It's been a season of learning for me on many fronts here. But lastly, this interview morphs into more of a conversation as it goes on. We abandon our outline at different points, pulled in extra book suggestions, and so on. Because of this, I think there's something for every mom in this episode. For the mom in love with the philosophy, for the mom overwhelmed and anxious, for the mom inadequate to the task, and for the mom checking off every to-do. I really do think it's for everyone. The Commonplace is a podcast for the new homeschooling mom delighted by the ideals and principles of a classical Charlotte Mason education, but who feels unsure of how to get started on the practical side of nourishing a soul on the good, the true, and the beautiful. I hope you find camaraderie here as we get our bearings in the world of old ideas and old books, of wisdom and virtue, and of the means of grace by which God works in this world through the commonplaces, which includes your home. So, if you're like me, trying to offer your children an education unlike your own, and wondering if you can create an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life of such richness, I'm here to tell you, I think you can. I'm your host, Autumn Kern, and I'm pleased to welcome you to The Commonplace. Leslie, welcome to The Commonplace. I'm so glad you're here. I'm really glad to be here with you. I love us just talking and <laughs> talking and laughing. So much talking. We've already been talking for half an hour, exactly. but now is time to actually start talking about today's episode. And when I was thinking about the podcast, I knew I wanted to talk to moms that were kind of in the same camp that I'm in, either right at the start of actually homeschooling or just new to the classical methods of education. And I knew we needed we needed an older mom to come in at some point because we are not there and we could benefit so much from your wisdom and you were the first person that I thought of. And so I'm really grateful that you're here. And because everyone else does not have you at church on Sundays like I do, I would love it if you could tell them a little bit about you and then about your homeschooling journey. Sure. So I live in Lancaster City in this old row house with my husband, Ned, and we've been living in this house for almost 20 years. So we basically raised our kids in this house and we were kind of like when we were homeschooling like little house in the city because we did so much life together like in this narrow row mm-hmm. house. Um, so I have three daughters, Carrie, Maggie, and Ellie, and Carrie's um, 27 and she teaches now at a classical school. Maggie is 22, she just graduated from the King's College and Elspeth um, will be turning 20 next month. 
I kind of can't believe I had adult children. No more teenagers. No more teenagers. <laughs> I just don't know. I also have a dog named Pevensey um, because my husband loves all things C.S. Lewis. So when we were homeschooling, we named our school St. Clive's Academy after C.S. Lewis. And we have a dog named Pevensey after the Pevensey children. So that was, that's fun. Um, so part of my, my journey of being a homeschooling mom really started in a way, when I would think about my own schooling experience, my mm. own high school experience, um, I wasn't homeschooled. I grew up in the 80s, and, but I went to a really solid Christian college prep school. I loved English. I loved history. I loved learning writing, poetry, theology, Bible. For me, I just had good teachers, and so I felt ready for college, and I loved writing, and I loved reading classics. and. It was through my classes that I learned to really love books the way I love them now. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I wanted to be a teacher because of my time at Wilmington Christian School. So I taught a little bit after I got out of college. Um, I went to school to become a teacher. I taught at a Christian school, but I really, it was so new and I didn't really have anyone mentoring me after getting out of college. So I, I just felt like I was kind of flailing mm -hmm. at this Christian school. But then Carrie was born, we were in the Baltimore area, Carrie was born, then we moved up to Lancaster. And it was around that time that we were introduced to the classical school method. Like I had read um, the Douglas Wilson book, um, Recovering the Lost mm -hmm. Tools of Learning. And then we met um, this couple, the Detweilers. Um, they had started a classical school in Florida and were starting one up here and they were starting like a business. When our oldest, it was time to do school, um, I wasn't working, it was just Ned, so he really couldn't afford school, but at the same time, Ned really felt called to homeschooling. We had, um, who are our partners in our Square Hill Books um, book publishing company, they are a family that Ned had known since he was 13, and I had known, I've known since I was like 22, and they're just really important people in our lives, and they were homeschooling their two younger daughters, and we just loved like the life that they had. We loved what they were learning and the conversations, we enjoyed them as teenagers. And so that gave me a vision for, oh, this is what this could look like. Mm -hmm. But still at the same time when Ned was like, I want you to home, I want us to homeschool, I was like, oh no. <laughs> like first of all, I love school. Right. Like I loved my school experience most of the time, except like when you're in middle school. Sure. I loved like the idea of school. I liked being in a classroom. And I was like, also I'll ruin our child. Or she'll hate God or she'll hate us and she will definitely not get to college <laughs> and become like a productive person. So I had all of those like feelings that mm -hmm. were just very loud in my head. But Ned's always been like a big like he's always seen he's been my big cheerleader like I've been for him. He's been for me and he's always seen my gifts in ways that I've not seen my gifts. And he was like, no, I think you're going to be like the best person for my daughter for different reasons, calling which can be, you know, wrapped up in money, you mm -hmm. know, like just different things. We felt like, okay, we're going to, we'll start off kindergarten, we'll start homeschooling. And in, in that, me following what Ned felt like God was calling our family to do, I discovered more of myself. Like there was still a place where I felt like, oh, I, I don't know, like, is this ever going to work? But at the same time, that creativeness that I love with teaching and the creativeness that I love just about what ordinary life can look like, I could expand that with homeschooling. Mm. So I had read the Charlotte Mason book by Susan Schaefer McCulley, 
I forget the name. For the children's sake. For the sake. children's yeah. sake. Thank you. It's a go-to. It's a <laughs> jump point, the jump point for a lot of moms. And then she had another book called For the Family's mm-hmm. Sake. And I also like really love that. And I had been really influenced by her mom, Edith Schaefer. Mm-hmm. And it had been Edith Schaefer and Madeline Lingle who had been the two big formative um, writers and women in my life in my 20s, especially my early 20s as I was finding out what does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to care about things like books and art and poetry and anything? Like they just were, they just opened my eyes and gave me a lot of like encouragement. So I had already been kind of living a life of how can I live intentionally um, with my family if all of life is sacred, if all of life can be an act of worship before God which was a way of me learning to break down the secular sacred that had I had grown up with, that I had formed in my own self, like, this is what's more pleasing to God, like evangelism and amazing spiritual um, mm-hmm. Bible studies or like mountaintop experiences, which like, I seem to not have any of those things. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, what kind of Christian am I? Does Jesus even love me? Do I even love Jesus? Edith Schaefer and Madeline Lingle just showed me that everyday life, you are loved by God in your everyday mm. life, and everyday life can be an act of worship and can be sacred. Yeah. And that was just everything. That was just a big thing for me. So before we started homeschooling, I already had like this making every day intentional with the books we were reading or the music we were listening to. So that was like kind of the the next step into homeschooling mm-hmm. was we're, we're learning about classical education, we're learning about homeschooling, and I'm learning what is my everyday life want to be like, so that not only is, my, is Carrie and Ned having a good life, but am I having a good life? Mm-hmm. Like, am I, am I looking into what makes me creative that I can give to my family? So that when I entered into homeschooling, I still kind of had that mindset, like, yes, Carrie needs to learn how to read. But Carrie could also learn poetry, because mm-hmm. I love poetry, so let's do poetry together, right. and it could be this this thing that we do together. Mm-hmm. So the end of the homeschooling story is Carrie, I homeschooled all the way through, except for one year where I taught at a classical school, and then I homeschooled my middle daughter till ninth grade, and then she went to Veritas Academy, then Elspeth till ninth grade, and then I went to Veritas Academy to teach. Mm-hmm. So, okay. And all of my kids don't hate Jesus, and we have a <laughs> good family life, and... They're all, um, two of them have graduated from college. So. <laughs> yeah, those, those baseline goals. <laughs> no, I love what you said about having this full life where the sacred and the secular weren't separated, where you could bring in creativity and wonder and delight and do an entire life with your children. I think that's something that actually probably attracts a lot of people to a classical Charlotte mm-hmm. Mason education mm-hmm. is this idea of nourishing them as born persons, whole persons, which of course also then should be nourishing to mom as the homeschooling mom. And I think that picture is beautiful. I think women easily fall in love with the idea of education being something more than, okay, Maggie needs to learn how to read, but instead we're going on this huge journey together where we're coming together to study these beautiful and noble ideas. And ultimately this education as a family is about forming her to be a person who loves God, loves his ways, mm-hmm. and by God's grace, we'll like, love neighbor. Like, we'll live that right. out. Right. And that's such a beautiful picture. But you also touched on what I think, I know I feel, and moms I've talked to you feel, 
they feel a little overwhelmed by the idea. It's a little, um, it brings out some of your inadequacies that you might have already, and we haven't even really started yet. Um, But a lot of us weren't classically educated. A lot of us have not seen this lived out in real time. And so I think there's a bit of fear as we're kind of towing the starting line. And so I would love to know, um, when you decided on classical homeschooling, and those feelings came up that you mentioned in your just brief kind of overview. How did you handle them? What did you do to kind of prepare as you moved through each season and year of homeschooling to almost anticipate those coming back oh, and what, sure. you could do for what them? you could do for them? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that this was God, kind of how he was moving in me to mm-hmm. prepare me for the ideas of classical education or what I would wrestle with, with what I loved and curriculum and pedagogy and mm-hmm. philosophy. So the one that was very um, formative for me, Madeline Ingle says this, but also C.S. Lewis, this idea of if, you're, if, if, if there's a book that's been written, but only the child can enjoy it for some reason and the adult can't, then it's not a book that a child should read. Mm-hmm. And Charlotte Mason uses that idea of living books. Mm-hmm. Like you want living books, you don't want twaddle. You right. don't want that stuff that's just like surfacey. So I, I had read Madeline Lingle and C.S. Lewis saying this first before I was introduced to Charlotte Mason's idea of it. And when I read Lewis's quote in that, I, it just made my heart go, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. That makes so much sense right. to me. When I became a stay-at-home mom, I'm trying to figure out what am I doing with my time all day mm-hmm. with this one and a half year old. Like we would go to the park, you know, we'd walk around the neighborhood. But I was like, we're just going to the library. <laughs> like I need to find out what's at the library. You know, I already had some children's books mm-hmm. and we had board books. But you know, I was that mom that had like in the in the book bin in our house was all, were also like art cards. <laughs> right. And I would pull it out and be like, okay, this is a Monet. Yeah. <laughs> And she's like one, you know, but it just, it just kept my brain going. So, so we went to the library and I got this idea in my head, but it hadn't come alive yet. It was just something that I read by Lengel and something I read Mm -hmm. by Lewis. So I was like, well, there's A, I'm just going to go through all the A's and find the books that look interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And then I started realizing, oh, there's like authors who have repeated books or illustrators mm-hmm. who have repeated books and they're either beautiful books or whimsical books mm-hmm. or the pictures are really lovely and the words are good and right. so I was discovering this thing that C.S. Lewis had talked about and maybe he was talking about novels or bigger books but I was discovering it in picture books mm-hmm. and so we would go home and even though she she was young she would just like sit next to me or on my lap and we would just look through books and it just became like a lovely thing that the two of us did. And then it was a lovely thing I did with Maggie and then with Ellie. So this thing of discovering not just what um, they might like, but what I loved. That was one thing that was really important Mm -hmm. to, that was forming me Mm -hmm. and then forming our family. Mm -hmm. So that, that was a part of God getting me ready for homeschooling, mm-hmm. as well as the Lengel and Schaefer's ideas of, of that life is can be beautiful, mm-hmm. but you need to be kind of intentional. And you can give what you, like they talk about your creativity, you can give your creativity to your everyday life and, and the people in your community. Well, like I'm married to an artist who 
every day is telling me a new idea of something he's thinking about. And I'm like, I, I can't keep up with all of these ideas that you have. And so to me, like, he's the epitome of creativity. Mm -hmm. But Edith Schaefer would say, no, we're all creative right. because we're made in God's image. So find, even if it feels quiet, find those things. And I did, and that was very life-giving. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that helped me with think planning or thinking about life and homeschooling is a, a woman at a local church, Westminster, which is a sister church to Wheatland, and her name was Peggy Weston, and she was an amazing Bible teacher. And um, she took me under her wing like she did other young moms. And so I would ask her parenting questions. And one thing I remember her saying to me, which I think would be a challenge for a lot of us, but I found it like, oh, that's a good idea. She became a mom when she was older. Mm -hmm. And her goal was that when she went out into the world with her children, that she was going to enjoy them. Mm. And that she was going to train them to be enjoyable people. Mm -hmm. So that when you went out, you weren't running after your child and screaming at them to stay with you. You, were, you knew that, that they needed training. Mm -hmm. And so out of love and, and trying to be patient, you just, I don't know. You figure it out along the way. So sometimes I was good at it, sometimes I wasn't. When the girls were younger and I was in the middle of all of that type of like, how do I keep my brain going mm -hmm. while also I have little kids and I'm homeschooling because I really have always loved books and ideas. Um, I just started book groups and they weren't necessarily classical school book groups, but like we were part of a church plant, um, a new church. And so I started a book group with women in our church. and. And we read like Little Women and A Tree Goes of Brooklyn. We read like good literature. So those are things that were working around in my brain um, when, the, when the girls were younger. Yeah. And as I was trying to work through what does it mean to think about life classically. So Sure. I think it's so encouraging to think of how much was on the job training. Yes. In terms of preparing, you try as you may, even if you're starting maybe when your kids are two or three or four and you're not really in formal schooling yet, you think I have time to prepare. So much of it does sound like it happens alongside of your children, right. which makes sense when we think about the feast idea. We're all mm. coming to the table. Mm -hmm. So you were also pulling up a chair. I was. You know, yeah. you could even read Homer four times through with four different kids and still be formed and learn exactly. something new each time. Exactly. It's because it's a living idea, these things are supposed to continue to shape you. And so mm -hmm. I think that's encouraging to know you don't have to have everything figured out when you start because this is for a whole person for a whole life. And yeah. therefore you're just doing it right. too. And for me, I love history. Mm -hmm. I love writing curriculum and I love literature and I love pulling like so these this is where I think where Ned saw my strengths mm -hmm. and he was like this is the type of education I want my children to have mm -hmm. where like I I think other people do do this and I think you see this in other ways but for me this is what gave me life I would be like okay so this year we're gonna do um we're gonna do the middle ages so these are the the classics we're gonna read that has to do with the middle ages this is like the Shakespeare we're gonna read together or do together um, this is the poetry that's either about the Middle Ages or it was written in the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. And then here's some picture books. Here's the men. Here's like the food we're going to make. You know, like here's a couple movies we'll watch. Mm -hmm. So I was always like trying to pull all of those things together. So I loved all of that. Right. I just like could end a school year and then start my summer and be like, okay, 
next I'm year. I'm just going to go think about next year now. Which, yeah. you know, yeah. that got a little bit tiresome as the girls got older. But that's just where my strengths lie. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just what I just, I, I did that when I was teaching at a classical school. Mm-hmm. Like, how can I bring these things together? Mm-hmm. So that's where the feast idea comes into, like, what you're saying and the whole person. Because I did love doing this alongside them. Like, mm-hmm. there are so many things I loved learning with them. And um, one thing that Ned always likes to retell is that when we went to Plymouth Plantation, um, I don't remember how old all the girls were, but we went to Plymouth Plantation because we were studying that time period. And I had been reading, like we had read um, Homes in the Wilderness, which is like a shortened version of William Bradford's Mm -hmm. um, diaries. Mm -hmm. So, So I had read that out loud to Carrie and then, but I had been reading some other things about the pilgrims and about their theology so that when we got there, we're in, you can interact with these actors mm-hmm. who are playing them and they have to stay in role. And they're used to just talking about like, well, this is the food we eat and sure. this is what we did here. And I'm like, okay, can we talk about paleo baptism? Like there was this group who's really interested in this. And then there was this group. How did you guys work out like covenant and paleo baptism? And, and were they, they prepared for questions? And they were prepared Were they really? looking at me like and I'm like yeah this is what I'm interested in <laughs> this is my thing now I know I'm a nerd but like can we just talk about like other things other than like I already know what you ate right you know we talked about that right. at home yeah so like that was for me what was life-giving for me sure was that 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 idea of feasting was mm-hmm. I was gonna feast on it too yeah and even if you didn't like the poetry we were still gonna read <laughs> I don't know who it is, but someone someone has a quote, something to the effect of like, if you don't like, you know, Shakespeare, the problem is you. Yeah. You know, like if you don't like this poem, you need to be rightly ordered. It's your fault. <laughs> so I do feel that we'll way read it again. <laughs> yeah. We will do it again until you love it. Well, and my kids, praise the Lord, they all ended up enjoying Shakespeare. Yeah. Like because they there was a friend of mine who taught Shakespeare and so they they sat under some of her classes. Okay. I do have kids who have worked with me who I was like, you're going to love it after you do it. And they're like, no, I'm not. And I think they just decided I'm not going to like Shakespeare. Right. And I'm like, how are you in a classical education and you don't like Shakespeare? Right. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Well, thinking about rhythms and your kind of like practical angle there of training your children so that you could delight in doing life with them mm-hmm. once you left your home, it kind of makes me think of actually Charlotte Mason's, um, her idea of a mother's thinking love, mm-hmm. that mothers are observing their children, looking yes. at the faculties that are God-given but are under her her like care and stewardship to cultivate so that they can go out and experience God's world so hopefully serve Mm -hmm. him well but also just be a delight to other people like you do want to enjoy your children the habits you train in them will become the habits they have as Mm -hmm. adults like you can kind of trace where a bad habit may run into adulthood and so um, I'm thinking about just rhythms and habits and I'm curious what you did to keep your rhythms in place when you were homeschooling either in like times of overwhelm or transition, just different things that pop up in life over the course of homeschooling, say sure. 15, 20 years, um, how you like stayed oriented towards your homeschool vision with those. Sure. I would say in some ways, sometimes I felt a little bit roller coastery um, because I wish those were things that, that Charlotte Mason idea, I wish I had read a little bit deeper because there were times that I was so fixated on giving them beautiful, beauty, truth, and goodness because I knew that that, that those things were important in heart, how, what you loved, what you thought about. The, and so sometimes I did it out of the love that I had for them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I gave it to them because I loved it. But also kind of mixed in that was, 
I'm giving this to you because I want a certain outcome. Mm. And not that that outcome would have been bad. I, I, I think I wanted outcomes that looked like good as followers of Jesus, mm-hmm. but I held too tightly to them. So sometimes there wasn't that delight because maybe they were in a, a heart messy time period and I was trying to figure out like, well, what did I do wrong? Or like, what's wrong with you? Like, so there are times that it felt very roller coastery, but by God's kindness, he, he does bring you back. Like he did that for me. Like mm-hmm. there was a time when I realized that I was so, that I, I felt insecure and anxious in things that I was doing that I had lost delight and affection mm. for my children. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when I real and I realized that after I had read a Bible verse about how Paul had affection for his, this church, like a mother has affection for her children. And I was like, Oh, like that word affection yeah. just got me. I was like, Oh, I'm not feeling that right now because I feel overwhelmed or because like I'm not doing it right. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand. I didn't, even though I, I understand that we're all sinful and I understood that and, and was trying to shepherd and discipline. I don't think I understood the depths of what it meant to to just be kids and be human. And there was just this stage where I held to it so tightly that it created just, ooh. Yeah. It just was not good. And so I did pray a lot. And by God's kindness, he like, he gave me back that affection. Mm-hmm. And it he didn't make me struggle in that for a long time. Yeah. I guess it was like the repentance and the kindness and... And so there is that there's there's times when you realize, oh, I've gotten off the rails in my own heart. Um, So but things that I tried to do, like to keep rhythms um, would be like, okay, we are going to try to get up at a certain time, like, I don't know, seven, seven thirty. And, you know, in your perfect world, it's like, okay, we're going to get up. We're going to like have breakfast, get dressed, do chores. I try to call them jobs because who wants to do chores? and then we'll do school. But then like somehow things would last longer and then you wouldn't get to school the way you wanted to get to. <laughs> so many, it became that like, okay, we'll just do house jobs another time, mm-hmm. like Saturdays or after school. And so we'd get ready, we'd get up, we'd have breakfast. Um, and I think mostly about like with Maggie and Ellie, like um, we would just sit at the kitchen table and we would do devotions together. And then I'd be reading some type of book to them and maybe I'd be read and they'd color. Or I remember we read through like different books that did an overview of poetry. So we'd read those. We'd practice Bible verses or practice poetry. So we would start our day together. Mm-hmm. Um, another happy memory I have was when Carrie was in like her first, um, like when she was in kindergarten and first grade. It was before we had Elspeth, but we had Maggie. And we would, um, we were in a different house than we are now. and. Um, the table was round, so Carrie and I could sit near each other in like a nice kind of community kind mm-hmm. of way, not too close, but also not like, you're over there, and right. I'm over here. And then Maggie was in her high chair, and so um, so we would be doing Bible time, say, Carrie and I would be doing Bible time. So I would put like a board book that was like maybe like a, a Bible board right. book, and then lots of Cheerios yes. on the yes. tray. <laughs> And so, and then I'd give her like a different toy. And it was like, it was the one time that you're like, oh, this multitasking, it's working. You know, and Maggie was just, she was, she did it. Like, I don't know what was going on, but it was really happy. So I could do like this easy stuff with Carrie mm-hmm. while I was trying to also entertain Maggie. But then, then I trained Maggie to go into the playpen so I could do like math with Carrie. Mm-hmm. So then she'd go into the playpen and play with her toys. And then we would do something 
with Carrie. And then we'd get out of, then a playtime time would be done. Maybe that was like a half hour. Mm-hmm. Then we'd go for a walk around the block and then go play somewhere like, or, or do like a nature walk and grab pine cones. And we would do that with Maggie and Carrie so we could just enjoy each other's company. Mm-hmm. Then we'd come home and read books and then have lunch. And then Maggie would have a, a nap and then I'd finish some schoolwork with, with Carrie. So like, Trying to keep those rhythms Mm -hmm. was helpful for me. Um, But then when we added a third child, that all was out the window. (laughs) And so here's the other story that maybe will make everyone feel good. Mm -hmm. So we had a homeschooling, when we moved to this house, we had a homeschooling room. And so Carrie and I would do stuff in the homeschooling room while Maggie and Ellie would hang out in their bedroom together. One day, I'm having this long time period with Carrie, and we're doing getting a lot done. It's so quiet. And then it's quiet. So then the girls come upstairs, and Maggie has cut all of Ellie's hair off. <laughs> except for, like, this little layer, where now she looks like a monk. <laughs> and just also put um, gel and glitter in her hair. <laughs> I mean, who, what hopefully mom doesn't have a story yeah, about exactly. I feel like we all should this many kids them. left and then they came back and they looked different than the last time I saw them. <laughs> so anyway, so that was my, oh, this is what happens when they're all alone. And I wish I had responded with more grace to mm-hmm. Maggie. I think I learned that along the way to just learn to not freak out. Yeah. <laughs> because I did. There, full stop. There's the podcast sad. episode. <laughs> yeah. How oh, I freaked out. Yeah. So, so those are things. I think the other thing I want to make sure I share is that we were part of a, a church that was a new church. Mm-hmm. And we were really committed, even though it was kind of rocky, you know, being a part of a church is hard, you know, community life can be hard, or you might not love all the preaching or what the worship style is. But we knew that, that we had and Ned was, a, after a while, was an elder. So we had made this commitment to this church. And so we also made a commitment to trying to learn what does community life look like mm-hmm. if you're being intentional and purposeful and creative in your community life. And so we really tried to make sure that the girls also were a part of the community life we were making. So right. that they were building relationships with families, with singles, with, with young people, that they would go to like, um, our church would have work days, they would go to the work days and they would be given jobs to do. Or Mm -hmm. when there was the Thanksgiving dinner, we went so that, and then when they were old enough to learn places of service, that's what they were, they were learning to be a part of that. And I would say that even though there are times that did really feel rocky and for different reasons, whether um, relationally or whatever, we, we all learned to keep going at it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really good for my kids too, to learn to, to keep being committed to a church mm-hmm. and because they were known and they knew people and they knew that they were, as other kids at the church, that they were covenant kids who were cared for. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was good for them. And I think that became a part of our, um, our homeschooling life as well. Even though we were part of co-ops and a part of a really great choir and the theater department as they got older, um, the church life became a, a place where the being known was important and the place to serve other people too. And another thing that was important to also our, which might not totally fit with the classical education, but I think it does too, because I think if we're going to home, if we're going to educate our children classically, we want our family and our children to be a blessing to the 
community around us. Mm, so yes. like, it's easy when you're a family who's like, well, we're doing these type of like rigorous things or we're, we're reading these books. It, like, well, I know for me, it's just easy to become self-righteous. Even mm. if you don't know that yes. I'm becoming self-righteous, <laughs> yes. it's hidden pretty deep in my heart, but it's there, mm-hmm. you know? So like, that's something that I was always, you know, working on. I either felt insecure and inadequate or I felt self-righteous. <laughs> yes. Mixed up with the fact that I was delighting in everything we were doing. I mean, right. being a human is so messy. Yeah. But um. Yeah. But I there was a homeschooling mom who's still very dear to me, a very dear friend. But when I was younger, she was very much like a mentor. Where now we're you know contemporaries, mm-hmm. like we've known each other long enough that it's moved from like right. I'm the young person and you're the one who knows more. To now we're like kind of in the mm-hmm. I don't know friends. Yeah, friends. yeah, yeah. So she shared with me that they had they wanted to be a, a family of service, and so like how do you do that intentionally? So so she kind of had, and I bet she got this from another homeschooling mom who had been mentoring her. Sure, but. You think of life as as work and serving, and so as a student, your work is being a student. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. eventually, you might go out of the house and work to make money, but your first calling, your first job, your first work is being a student. But then you're also working and serving in the home, mm-hmm. so you're going to be trained how to do things around the house, so that you're also a part of the family and the work that's going on. But then there's service outside of the home. And so they kind of divided that up to, we're going to serve, like, you're going to, either you're going to serve as a family together, or you're going to find places as you get older to serve on your own within the church, Mm -hmm. you know, that you're going to join the church community in service. But then as you get older, you're going to find things that you really like to do as your own person in volunteering and serving. So there was these, like, four areas. So, like, for her daughters... That outside, like the thing that they would do for service was like babysitting mm-hmm. or like, like in the summer they've had day camps, mm-hmm. you know, and I, my kids played with her kids cause they were a little bit older. So they were playing, but being watched by them, you right. know, so it was just lovely, lovely thing. So I just love that vision. I love that vision of, Oh, we're going to just be creative and intentional in how we're thinking about life, not mm-hmm. just what we're studying, but that we're serving and that. Mm-hmm. That you're you're learning to be like an enjoyable person to be with, and you're learning to love other people and serve mm-hmm. in the home and in outside the home. Mm-hmm. So I actually do think that's classical. I know we were joking a little bit about Aristotle before we started recording, but he has those two virtues, and one type is intellectual virtue, which comes through being taught. So you know it takes time and effort right. and continuous study. But then there are character virtues, and those are born out of your daily habits, and so it does no good to have virtuous thoughts only in your head. You actually become virtuous through your repeated behavior in your normal life, the things that you're doing. So to be someone who is generous would be a, a, a virtue that is built on habits of like giving your time, giving your money, giving your service to others. And so having your children committed to doing work as church members and also as part of your education would be, I think classical in that sense yes. like you're actually forming virtue through the repeated service habits yeah, if you will yeah so I think it is classical I know you're like maybe it's not yes. classical but I think maybe I think it, it is can be. I think because it can I'm be. seeing good fruit in that like right. my daughter who's 27 she's a member of Redeemer up on the Upper West mm-hmm. Side and she's she's serving as a um in the youth group mm-hmm. as a youth group leader but now they're looking for a worship leader oh, cool. and so she's part of the search committee awesome you know so yeah. she's she's 
grown in relationships at church because she knew that first being in church was an important thing. Right. And so she immediately started going to church when she went to college. Mm -hmm. And then, and she wanted to go to Redeemer because she was like a fan of Tim Keller. Mm -hmm. But she also liked the other preacher at that church. Mm -hmm. So she had like a a thing, like she wanted to go to a PCA church because we were. Mm -hmm. But she also knew preaching, having good preaching was important. And then she stayed there, and now she's serving. Right. And I'm seeing that also in Maggie and Ellie. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really I'm grateful for that. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm just forgetting our notes now. It's interesting to think that habits are also very tied up in your identity. Mm-hmm. So if you think about James K. Smith's idea that we're narrative creatures, like the story mm-hmm. we're constantly telling ourselves shapes who we think we are and what we think we're doing, our habits are very tied up in that identity. So if to be a bustard was to be one of service then their habits would have to align with that. So if your family's identity was we serve, this is a thing Bustards do, it's important to us, then your girls were like, this therefore has to be lived out like in an embodied way. I go and I serve. And now it's become this knee-jerk reaction that when I transplant to a new place, well, I'll feel most comfortable and most myself in a new environment where maybe I feel a little unsettled if I go do the things that I've been doing repeatedly right. my whole life, I'll go serve in a church. Let me go right. go get my feet planted somewhere. somewhere. And that's really interesting today to think about what our kids are growing up in now and where they're headed. Getting plugged into church is not usually maybe the first thing teenagers true. do, yeah. but like look at what happened because of being diligent. And it's not in like doing we that. said, oh, the busters are people who serve. Really, we would have said the busters are people who like to go to Switchfoot concerts and <laughs> um, Harry Potter movies at midnight. Um, but we're also people who are committed to right. um, our church. Yeah. You know, so like where there were places that were sh- places of struggle mm-hmm. in different years, whether it was for us or for them, we did learn that there that we needed to stick it out. But that the struggles we were having weren't necessarily ones that were worthwhile to leave a church over. Mm-hmm. You know, like there are going to be reasons right. that some people have, but we felt like, oh, we, we need to learn to, to stick these things out. And I think that was a good thing also for mm-hmm. our kids. And I think that's wonderful. And I think it does loop back into what I wanted to ask you about tonight. So I joke with my husband sometimes that basically once you go classical, you don't go back. Mm-hmm. It feels like it shapes how you view, view your entire life. Everything kind of changes. How you maybe think about what you're doing in your home, how you order your home. And I know a lot of us young moms want to build homes that are centered around the good, the true, and the beautiful. Like it, You don't want to turn it into a system where it becomes a list of more to-dos to do. Because moms, we do by nature and by role need to anticipate needs and meet them. We do work with a lot of to-dos. And so I think the temptation would be to take something like, I'd like a a home rhythm of these beautiful things and instead it becomes, well, now I have to do morning time and I have to make sure we read these five books and if I don't read this list or this thing, we're not doing it right and, you know, it's all going to crumble. So I'm curious if you have any advice for um, how a mom can build an atmosphere in the home that's a gift to everyone in the home, mm-hmm. including her, and it doesn't tip into that, oh, now I just have a bunch more things to do exactly. on top of, like, the laundry pile. Right, right. And I probably will sound like I'm repeating some of the stuff that I said sure. at the beginning. But I guess it was in 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 that learning that, that all of life is like a gift and all of life can be an act of worship and can be sacred, that... Were those first baby steps to feeling some good freedom? Mm-hmm. Not that I always walked in all of that freedom, because I have been honest in sharing where I, there are places where I felt inadequate or I wanted to hide. But 
But when I discovered that I could even take the little things that I love, like having fresh flowers in different rooms, or like a candle, or like some of those um, outside rhythms that might not have to do with books, like I created this seasonal um, rhythm of, oh, it's fall, so now we're listening to Phil Peggy's Beyond Nature and Charlie Brown music. <laughs> now, later on I learned that the Charlie Brown music we listened to the fall was actually the Christmas music, <laughs> but the music sounded like leaves falling to me, not snow falling. And so we would listen to Phil Peggy and Charlie Brown at breakfast time. And then when it was nighttime in the fall and winter, we would listen to Ella Fitzgerald. Mm. And so that became like, these rhythms and so also when it was the fall and I know these seems like little things but they just became little like things that made the Bustard household just sweet yeah like it would be like books that were seasonal or poems that were seasonal especially John Updike's um a children's calendar we would always every year read each month's poem then there would be like oh it's fall we're gonna have the apple candle Mm -hmm. And we're going to have mums in the house, you know, or we're going to have pumpkins all over the place. Right. So, like, for me, those are just, like, the, the little things that became my rhythm. Or it would be, oh, these are the foods we eat. <laughs> like, sometimes, or if it's Saturday, we listen to Simon and Garfunkel. Um, so, sometimes Ned will say to me, oh, that's not a winter food, is it? Or, that's not a winter music, is it? I'm like, no, it's no, no, not. No. So, we're not listening to it, you know? Right. So that's one thing that I did that kind of um, that kind of just kept me going because mm -hmm. it's what I cared about. Mm -hmm. And it was like just cuddling and reading books or it was watching the old-fashioned Disney movies like Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> yeah. You know, that like I liked watching, right. you know? So it was those type of things. But um, or going on walks. Mm -hmm. I just loved when they were younger to go on walks and they're not all into nature walks like I am still, but we would just make sure that that became like a good thing mm -hmm. in what we did with our time. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that I don't, don't know how, I, it is hard not to make it a to-do list. Mm -hmm. So I do understand like there are times when I was like, uh, here's my schedule and these are the books I want to read. Sure. You know, so it's hard not, it's hard not to do that. But what I did gain from Edith Schaefer and then by paying attention to Madeline Engel's life and some of her memoirs, like Circle of Quiet and... Oh, I love that book. I just found that at library. That, so. that, yeah. I, I don't know if I could reread it now because I read it when I was like 23 mm -hmm. and then I read it when I was like 30. So I don't remember everything she was saying, but it was so formative mm -hmm. for how I viewed life and, and walking on water and um, those two-part invention. But where you find out like, what are the things that I care about? What are the what are the stories that I care about? What are the the foods that I care about? Or what's the like? I there's a mom at Wheatland who she really loved hiking. Like she wasn't going to be found on a Saturday cleaning her house. She was going to be found taking her kids on hikes. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what she gave to her family mm -hmm. was this love of being outside and taking hikes. And I just love that in her. Mm -hmm. Now, like, I like to go on hikes, but I would rather take my kids to a museum. Mm -hmm. Where she wasn't like, she was not like, right. we're going to go to a museum. And I'm like, that's what I love to do. And now my kids love, that's what we love to do together, is to go on to museums mm -hmm. and just wander around. And we still love, like, to do that. 
So learning like, what is it that I enjoy that I can put into my day that I can also think of as a gift for my kids. Mm -hmm. So like, there might be some moms who are into things like, well, I don't know how to make that into a gift to my kids, but I bet there are at least a few things, you know, like I'm not someone who exercises, you know, on a consistent basis. I tried to get us to do that, but there might be moms who are like athletic and that's what they, they're going to put into their life Mm -hmm. as a way to give something to their family as a gift, not as like a, we're competitive and we have to beat everyone, but we love doing these, you know, these type of things. Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing for me became something that I call poetic underpinnings. Mm -hmm. And that just became like my mantra. We're hosting a painter, his name is Edward Nippers, and Ned was getting to know him because he was involved in Christians and the visual arts, and he was working on a book for our for our like fledgling book publishing company, and it was called um, "It Was Good Making Art to the Glory of God." And Ned was interviewing Ed as because Ed was a very respected um, thinker and painter. But um, we were having lunch together, and I was just in awe of him because he was one of the first people I met who were like real artists who really loved Jesus, but they were like really artists, like <laughs> excellent. Like they had sold lots of things in galleries mm-hmm. and, and their stuff wasn't at all kitschy or cliche. Mm-hmm. And it was so exciting to get to know him. And, and I'm so grateful to say that we're real friends now and I just love him as a human. But I was telling him how I was researching and learning about classical education. And I don't know why we had moved into that. Maybe he was talking about something because he was mm-hmm. a very thoughtful, well-read person. And he said, well, I think, I think classical education has got some strengths, but it doesn't have any poetic underpinnings. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, first of all, I was slightly intimidated by him, so I wasn't going to ask him what a poetic underpinnings (laughs) mean. I was like, oh yeah. Mm, Yes. Yes. (laughs) But inside of me, my whole insides are probably like exploding with excitement because I'm like, he's just named what I care about. You know, like, these are the things that I've been caring about for a couple of years, and this is what I want our life to be. Mm-hmm. And and um, so I took him to say, like, underneath of everything you're doing is something that has to do with the beautiful, the true, and the good mm-hmm. that you're putting underneath your everyday life, and it's going to bubble up into what you're giving to your family or who you are. And so when I thought about homeschooling and thought about homeschooling classically, without still really knowing a lot about classical education as kids get older, I was like, poetic underpinnings. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I know that it's about memorizing phonics rules and grammar rules and dates, and that's what I'm learning is in like the memory memory stage. Mm -hmm. But that can't be all that it is. It's got to be, we're going to look at beautiful paintings and we're going to like talk about what's in the painting or we're going to read poetry or just keep reading beautiful books. Mm -hmm. That became like my little vision for myself and then for my family that I was going to find those things that I found to be beautiful or that historically were told to be beautiful um, and I was going to give it to my family. Mm -hmm. It was a part of who I was that I was Mm -hmm. going to give to them. And in the end, like last year on Mother's Day, they made this little booklet for me, you know, as I've been fighting cancer. They wanted me to know what I had done for them. And many of the things were like, you gave us poetry, you helped us see paintings in ways we never would have seen before. Or Maggie was like, I now want to work in a museum because of, you know, what we did together, you know? So like, 
Um, and Carrie teaches at a classical school and, and we talk about classical education and she has a vision of taking it a little bit farther. So when you look at the idea of this poetic underpinnings and the beautiful and the good and the true that I tried to give them, some of the fruit happens later, mm -hmm. but like some of it also happened when they were younger because they would sit and listen to me read poetry or we would go to a museum and they wouldn't roll their eyes. They would play the game of, okay, if we were going to steal a painting from this room, what would it be? Or which yeah. one is mom's favorite painting? Because we all know what mom loves, you right. know? Right. So, um, and then they helped me learn to see things because then they would start to see things. Mm -hmm. So then I would learn mm -hmm. to see what they thought looked was good or beautiful. Mm -hmm. So it seems like like the big the big takeaway is that it cannot be divorced from love. So when we yes. talk about what moms care about most, what they love the most is in a sense a gift to their children. I think so. I think it's because it's born from love of this good gift from God. Yes. And then when you think about what the girls started to pick up on, what they their own affections turned towards, what they started to love, then showed you something. Or right. or thinking, I I think what I've the little I've read into the history of the classical resurgence, there's definitely, well, maybe this has always been, a slight snootiness to mm -hmm. it, can be, um, and there can be an emphasis on the rigorous side of it, which yes. indeed it is a rigorous it type of rigorous. education because you are developing the faculties God has given to mm -hmm. people and like you do need to strive for excellence. But when you start to pull love out of it, it's when I think you start to pull the living ideas out of it. You boil things I down to so facts. Too. And so like you were saying, I knew it was all this memory, 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 like these dates, these facts, these uh, states, these capitals, but then no poetic underpinnings there. There was no, there was maybe no story about a place where some great fire has happened and your children were able to connect to an actual like location and place and be like, this is what it would have been like to live through this. Like now this has meaning and there's, there's connection. I can have a relationship right. to this idea as opposed to just, I know these facts on a timeline that I can sing in 11 minutes or whatever right. it is. Um, and you need those facts to build upon the living ideas. You can't really separate the two. You can't just have a fact. I think with all of us being born persons, we're going to process facts into the relation, like within the relationships we have to the things around us. We're yes. always relating to right. God's world. You just right. can't stop a kid from doing right. that. You can either help them do it well or divorce them from it, which again would be a break in the idea of love. Um, but I think that emphasis on rigor has lost, like we've been talking about delight kind mm -hmm. of on and off the mic. Mm -hmm. um, and that that changes things because I, I think what I love about Charlotte Mason and why I'm willing to argue that she is classical is because ultimately her what and how of education line up with mm -hmm. the classical idea. However, she had a humility mm -hmm. that I don't think was present in some of the older things I've read mm -hmm. um, where, you know, you, you fought to have a particular teacher that you sent your child off to and right. it was like a big status sort of thing exactly. where she thought all children deserve this because they have souls and right. because they're born persons. Right. Like Maggie's work and thinking about children who are differently abled, like, no, they still are souls in need right. of the good, the true, and the beautiful, yeah. but how might you instead give it to them in a way they can process and learn exactly. and understand and grow in, right. which might just have to look different as it would with any kid in your homeschool. You would mm -hmm. not just, the whole point is that it's not a system. You're not just saying all children hop on a conveyor belt. Mm -hmm. This is how you get your education. We'll pop you out at the end. It is actually like, oh no, you're a being made in the image and of I God. And I can exactly. tweak and be imaginative in how right. I present things to you because I want you to learn to love the right way. Yeah. And so I think... And I think, I, again, I haven't done, I didn't do a lot of um, 
when I was in the middle of homeschooling. I didn't do a lot of like, okay, what's the whole... So that would be our air conditioner <laughs> that just went off. I'm so sorry. I like this real-life podcast <laughs> on the road. <laughs> there's the fireworks. There's the dog. There's the air conditioner. So be like homeschooling. How many times are you interrupted at the table? Exactly, basically, right? Um, but so I don't know everything about like the backgrounds mm-hmm. about the, the when the new classical resurgence happened, you know, mm-hmm. as people were discovering that Dorothy Sayers essay. Mm-hmm. But I think... There was this thought that, okay, so if everyone in the grammar stage is good at memorizing, even if maybe you have learning disabilities, well, do learning disabilities actually exist? I think that was like a, a discussion. Was it? Oh. I think it was okay. for a while. I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> um, that they maybe didn't believe that it was that, that there were learning disabilities, but maybe not everybody, like maybe there's too many people saying they mm-hmm. had learning disabilities. Okay. But that... That if it's just memorizing, everybody can memorize, right? Like, just give them a chant or a game and everybody can do that. I don't think that's true. Mm -hmm. But I think if you say to a child, let's read this book and you tell back to me what you heard and you narrate it back to me, then he's not overwhelmed by all of the dates and facts he has to memorize, but he's starting to be able to own something that he's learned. It's become part of him in a way that's personal. Mm -hmm. And that's what I loved about Charlotte Mason. Because even if, like, I had one child, that narrating was hard. Mm -hmm. And it might have been hard because it was just she and me, you know? Like, that's not always fun to narrate for your mom. Sure. (laughs) Unless, like, I had Carrie. I would have Carrie narrate with, like, Lego figures. Oh, yeah. Like, okay, here's a Lego figure. Set up the setting and tell me the story of whatever you read. Yeah. Um, I was talking to another friend recently, and she had kids who loved to narrate, but she had one child who was like, you just read that out loud to me. Why do you want me to narrate it to you? Explain your <laughs> process, like, woman. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, so I think sometimes narrating can be a little bit easier when there's more in the group. Mm-hmm. But that was our experience. But I had another child who was like, here, let me tell you everything, mm-hmm. you know. But um, I love that Charlotte Mason idea that we're born persons. And so we're going to have these strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And they are going to have strengths and weaknesses. And it could be that that they can't memorize through chanting, mm-hmm. you know, that it, it just doesn't work for them. So I'm not like someone who wanted to educate classically with a lot of chanting and names, mm-hmm. because I kept thinking about this idea of what we do day in and day out is going to form us. So like, do I want to form someone who expects to be entertained, have fun, and is competitive? Mm-hmm. I don't think I want that to be the top three things that make up their personality. Sure. Now, whether that totally has happened in all classical schools, I don't know. Right. But those were thoughts that I was having at the time when I was trying to figure out how do I implement classical education. But um, I just believed so much that you do become what your habits are during the day. Mm-hmm. You know, what you end up loving or becoming. There's, you know, maybe you're born competitive, but it it becomes even more because all through your grammar stage you were playing games to see who won because mm-hmm. they knew all the information. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just things I thought about. Yeah, Charlotte know. Mason talks a lot about what is the motivation that you're giving your child, exactly. which she talks about before she gets in, like her principles, before she gets to the discipline, atmosphere, and life as her like three yeah. tools. She talks about not imposing upon the child's will in terms mm-hmm. of like fear or 
she doesn't say bribes, but like I'll give right. you something or your own like your mother's pleasure when you do something right. like what are you motivating people? It's so hard. I find that hard. I don't to like do. that principle at yeah, all because, because I do all those things. Well, right, exactly. <laughs> and like I remember sometimes seeing some people um, because you don't want a child to be motivated by giving the teacher pleasure. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I would see in some classrooms in the Charlotte Mason world, the teacher's not always smiling. Well, that's never going to be me. Right, <laughs> like, right. Like, I do have a pretty smiley disposition. She says, like, a mother should, I think, most generally be smiling towards oh, her that's children. Good. Like, that's the thing, because I'm like, really? <laughs> and I yet they will that. obey? <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. No, but yeah, so her whole thing is, like, you don't know what character you're forming when you motivate them with something exactly. other than the fact that it is right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, she's she's a whole bit on Ephesians six one being the only command hard. given to children in the yeah. epistles: obey your parents and the Lord, for it, it is, is right. right. And that should be reason enough, but also that they must know that you are ruled by what is right. right. That you also may not just do whatever you want. That's so true. Yeah, it's been a lot of thought at my house lately. Yeah. <laughs> and those are things I didn't read a lot of. Yeah. Because I didn't know, like I was reading Charlotte Mason secondhand, right. but I do have a dear friend who read Char- like all of the Charlotte Mason mm-hmm. works, so then she'd share things with me, and I'd be like, oh, I'm missing some of this. Charlotte Mason is a spitfire in a Victorian dress, yes, and exactly. I have, I just finished getting all six volumes, and wow. I just decided I should always be reading one, you know, That's just kind of like loop idea. through them. Exactly. People... Assume that Charlotte Mason is easy. Who's morning time, girl? Oh, Cindy, Cindy Rollins. Rollins. She has this great line about how everyone thought that... She had eight boys. Yes. Yeah, eight boys and one girl. And so she she knew people assumed that Charlotte Mason and her boys were like frolicking through tulips all day. <laughs> and like instead, actually, Bonhoeffer had a Charlotte Mason education. So if you think back to the early years, what would you say were the most important habits that you that you would recommend a mom starts cultivating now either for herself or for her kids in preparation for school? Like when we think about, well, you can't learn if you can't pay attention or right. we're not going to be able to learn as a family if you can't obey, like right. things like that. Those type of things. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the first things that came to mind as we were talking about these type of questions was kind of going back to that idea of delight, um, but delight having conversation with your children. Mm. Like the sometimes kids talk too much. I do remember when it would be like, Please stop talking when we'd be in the car. Can we just listen to these songs? You know, <laughs> let's just sing along with Rain for Roots. Sometimes you know? I just turn the music up slowly. Exactly. Can we listen to this book on tape? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there does need to be those times where you are cultivating this enjoyment of conversation with them. Um, I think about. Um, we're going to just refer to Chronicles of Narnia. Yes. And here is, is your there... Narnia reference for exactly. this episode. <laughs> so this was something that I, did, that I was trying to do, but I didn't realize was a thing in a way until I was in teaching seventh grade, the Chronicles of Narnia, and we were reading Magician's Nephew. And I did a lot of reading out loud to the kids because I think reading out loud is so good for kids. Like mm-hmm. it's good for them to read out loud, but I think it's great to listen oh, yeah. to having people read out loud. So it was in the part where there's been the creation story and now Aslan has brought some animals to him and they're going to become the talking animals mm-hmm. of Narnia. And he says, you know, I don't know how to say this in a way that really gives Aslan justice. So I'm just going to say, he basically says, you know, awake and then love, think and speak. Mm-hmm. And just the important, made me realize like, oh, 
the importance of conversation and the importance of what kind of words are we giving to our children and are we interacting with them with good words and mm -hmm. and paying attention to them and looking at them and I know we get tired and I and I still get tired and but then they're like little people who have interesting things to yeah, say. They do they're so funny. They're so funny. Oh, they're so funny. And so like just learning to enjoy that you know and some moms might have to work on that some moms and i'm so glad i didn't have a cell phone when my children were younger mm -hmm. that i had to actually always be looking at them to talk sure. to them because that's really important for their brain development without knowing it's good for their brain development but i'm glad i didn't have to fight the phone in my own personal habits mm -hmm. when i'm around them because i struggle with that now and they're you know Right. So that enjoying talking with your children and creating an environment of enjoyable conversation and and just learning to be encouraging to them and not nitpicky and mm -hmm. you know knowing that that they're a little weak like you're weak you know yes. they just have different weaknesses so cultivating that habit of conversation and a good atmosphere mm -hmm. of conversation and we also talked about that cultivating a habit of delight. Mm -hmm. um, and just even that might be a place where you have to ask God. And so this would be a personal habit to be having now is learning to be honest with yourself about like where you're at in hmm. whether it's discontentment or trusting God or believing that he's for you. Um, where are you insecure? Where are you comparing yourself? Where do you feel self-righteous? So that you know that Jesus is always there to hear us confess mm -hmm. and he's always there in love not in okay fine you're yeah. doing it again he loves and delights to restore us and to move us closer to being more like him mm -hmm. and move us closer to knowing his grace but we've got to start at being honest you mm -hmm. know with ourselves kind of like you know the prodigal son or the lost son as pastor luke called yeah. him you know like how he had to be honest that he wasn't getting fed and there he was with the pigs and maybe the first place of honesty was is I'm going to get fed better if I'm with my dad but he still had to be he had to be honest about the situation he was in and I feel like that was something I had to learn for the longest time I would maybe try to hide it because I was I didn't like the feelings that I felt of, mm -hmm. of feeling insecure or inadequate or I didn't like the feeling that I wasn't as good as my friend who was good at sewing or at baking beautiful cakes or something. So I needed to learn that God was for me in new ways and he was for my family um, and that I could repent and that he lovingly would restore me mm -hmm. and that he would move me beyond where I was stuck to more places of freedom. Mm -hmm. um, but it had to start with confessing. Yeah. So, like, that habit of delight might not start until you're willing to admit where you're not delighting or where you don't feel delightful. Um, and that could take time for God to keep working things out in you. Because yeah. that's part of your sanctification, too. Um, I think another good habit for moms is to be in scripture. Mm -hmm. um, I also was never that person who was going to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and have devotions. <laughs> I usually would have it, like when Carrie was younger, I would take her nap time and mm -hmm. have devotions and then just try to squeeze it in. Or maybe it would just happen like once a week, but I also would really rely on like doing the best I could in church, mm -hmm. like whether Ned would take the girls if they weren't doing well, like 
in church or whatever, or listen to sermons online because I was like doing the dishes or right. something. But that trying to learn to meditate on scripture and, and Eugene Peterson's book, Eat This Book, that was so formative for me. Um, just this idea, because I do love theology and I love talking about ideas and theological ideas and, and kind of growing up in a reformed tradition, it's so easy to want to argue to get to the right answer. Yes. And I'm not a great arguer, but I knew I always wanted the right answer. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I might not argue it and try to persuade you, but I knew I wanted it inside of me. And I don't think it's bad to want good answers. No. I think that's really, like, I was seeking wisdom and I was seeking to know the Lord by, by being theologically sound. But I, I moved into a new realm after I, a new place of one, like taking my love of words and, and good stories and poetry and how words are put together and seeing how that's in scripture. And so it wasn't just like, now I'm going to know the story, right? Because, you know, I grew up as a Christian, going to Christian school and going to church and youth group. And I was always the good Christian kid who knew all the right answers. Mm -hmm. um, and so I needed to move beyond the, I know all the right answers to, I don't know everything. And look at how beautiful scripture is. And look at how the more you're in scripture for it to form you, mm -hmm. the more beautiful it is. Mm, yeah. Um, and the more you have eyes to see all of the different connections that run throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I still love theology and I love listening to good theologians and I love a good sermon, but I also just love to just sit and have scripture just running through my mind as it to form my heart mm -hmm. and to form who I am as a person. So I think that needs to be even a little bit of a habit before you get really busy when mm -hmm. kids are little. Sure. Another thing I think that we as moms need to, or even as moms and dads, is to be comfortable with being the authority mm -hmm. um, and not feeling like I want my kid to be my friend. We can still delight in each other and have fun and laugh and go watch Avenger movies when they're older or whatever, like do those things that are fun. But um, but we still need to be their authority. We mm -hmm. still need to be the one that's disciplining them, doing that hard work of disciplining. And it can't always be, okay, there's grace for that because there's grace for me. Like if we're all we're giving to our kids is grace, it's that's like Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, that's cheap grace. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there does need to be times that God does allow pain in our lives because that does form us. Mm -hmm. But he's not doing it because he's angry or he's punitive. He's doing it because he's trying to weed out trying to get out the weeds that have rooted in our hearts yeah. or the bad habits that are in us because yeah. he wants us to be more like Jesus because mm -hmm. the more we're like Jesus the more human we are you know yeah um we're, the more we're becoming like who we're made to be and and some of that comes through worship and the means of grace of communion and good teaching and prayer and the Holy Spirit moving and sometimes it comes through discipline so I think if that's what God does in our life then if God calls us to obedience and he calls us to live set apart because he is holy, then how do we help our kids with that? And we can't do that if we're trying to please them all the time. Right, right. We have to do that hard work um, of disciplining, of saying no and following through or however discipline looks in your family. But I think we don't trust a lot of authority anymore. So... We don't want to be what we don't trust. Hmm. So how can we cultivate being a trustworthy authority? 
And I guess that means looking a lot to Christ yeah. and to God the Father and the Holy Spirit as a good father and a good son. I think one thing that I think is also another good thing to keep working in, inside of yourself is that if God has called you to homeschool mm -hmm. and say he's called you to homeschool and to homeschool something that's outside of maybe other people's boxes like mm -hmm. classical or Charlotte Mason, it's going to be unknown territory and he's going to call you to be obeying, doing things that, that are unknown, you know, but when I look at how he spoke to Moses and Joshua and how Jesus spoke about how he was always going to be with his people. When we're called to obey something, whether it's an easy thing to obey or a hard thing to obey, homeschooling many times was delightful but hard for me to obey. And I, I needed to keep growing and trusting that if God's going to call me to obey, he's going to be with me. Mm -hmm. He's going to be with me in it, even if I'm failing. He's going to keep being with me because he promises to always be with me. So I can be courageous. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be afraid because he's going to be with me. The Holy Spirit's in me. He's going to be with me in his word. There's just that mystical, I don't know how it works out, but we're abiding in Christ. Yeah. I mean, we're always abiding in Christ. Mm -hmm. Nothing is going to separate us from the love of God. And, and those are truths that need to get deep inside of us, mm -hmm. I think. And that takes time too, but we need to keep reminding us. We can be courageous. We can be strong. Um, we don't have to be afraid because we've got God. God is for us. He can be against us. Mm, yeah. We're in Christ. We're not going to never not be in Christ. Right. Is that the right way to say yes. it? Yes. Did I do the negative thing? Right? Yes. No. So those are things that... I've grown in mm -hmm. and I'm grateful for growing in them like because as I've been fighting cancer I don't think I'd be able to fight cancer if I didn't know that God had called me for some reason to walk in this hardship but I could have submit to it because he he's with me and I can be courageous in it because mm -hmm. he's not going to leave me and I think that's true for the homeschooling mom and and a, a friend uh, another homeschooling mom the one who kind of got us into homeschooling she's still a dear friend and I would share with her, you know, that how I felt anxious, especially when the girls were a lot younger, and all of my anxieties. And I wanted to be free of them, but I didn't know how. And she basically was like, you need to pray. You need to keep praying that God would free you from these things that are your hang-ups and your anxiety. But you, Leslie, think he's going to free you and it's going to look a certain way. Like mm. your day's going to get easier or your kids are going to obey right. easier. Like you think it's going to look a certain way so that you can be free of your anxiety or your insecurity. But what you really need to be praying is, God, give me the eyes to see what you're really doing. Mm. Like I think you should be doing this, but you've got a bigger plan than I do. Right. So help me to enter into what you're doing in me or in Ned or in my family so that I'm not holding so tightly that I lose my insecurities and anxiety because you're answering my prayers the way I want them to be answered. Right. Give me eyes to see what you're doing so I can enter into that. Um, and so the more I learned to pray that, the more I learned it. Yeah. You know, and the more God would show it to me. Yeah. And then I read A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Oh, that's and so good. That affirmed all of that. <laughs> that's so yeah. please read Ethos book and um praying life. Pray life. <laughs> that's awesome. I think that's the best rhythm to take and put into practice right now is constant prayer. Yeah. And faith in what God is doing mm -hmm. if he's called you. And this. like the daily like the 
Brother Lawrence is practicing at the oh, Presence of God. Oh, yeah, so good. You know, like, oh, yeah, I did read a classic book. I read Brother Lawrence. <laughs> and then I read the other one, the Bob, and I can't remember what it is, so I'll stop talking. But Brother Lawrence. Um, so, like, practicing the presence of God, so you're in conversation with them during the day, but then you're also setting aside when you can to mm-hmm. do, like, specific things or specific worship or mm-hmm. Thanksgiving or help me, you know, pray for my family the way they need to be prayed. So. Yeah. I think prayer is, I think that's what, it's such what we're called to, Yeah. you know, to be abiding in Christ, to be praying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I think that's a good place to actually wrap this Let's up. It's like up. such an encouraging <laughs> note to end on. Um, for our final fun thing, and I know you thought three was a small number, yeah, but I knew I could not just do one. <laughs> so, Thank you. Leslie, if, <laughs> if you were to grab three books off of your bookshelf to pass to a young mom, what would they be? Well, since since I've already recommended <laughs> Eat This Book and A Praying Life. Skip those two. I can skip them. And I think I mentioned that I read Athanasius, so I'm yes. going to skip that too. So like those are books that have been pretty important to me. Um, I do recommend John Newton's Letters. Um, his work and his his shepherding heart and his words on grace and the letters his pastoral heart to the people he was writing to but his his ability to speak of how he was a mess mm-hmm. and I'm like John uh, John Newton like you read him and you're like you're great right. but no he was so aware of where he needed God's grace so that John Newton's letters um, then John Calvin has a book called The Little Book on the Christian Life, which I think is set within a bigger thing. I think it's set within his institutes. But okay. it's a small thing. It's a small thing. It's a little book. It's a little book. It's packed, though. It's so packed, <laughs> yeah. and I've read it three times, and I still need to keep reading it. Do it another it. time. It's like every year. But that book um, is hard, but good medicine. Yes. And full of grace. He's such a shepherd, too. Mm-hmm. So... John Newton, John Calvin, and then I, this feels weird, but I love this trilogy called Christian Lawton's Daughter, and it's written by um, a Catholic writer, Sig- Sigrid Unstead. She was the first woman to get the, I think, the Pulitzer Prize, oh. and she wrote this trilogy, and it's based in medieval Norway, so if you're a Tolkien lover, and you know how Tolkien loved like the new, new uh, like all of the myths, the Norse myths, um, she does descriptions like Tolkien, but as a different type of writer, but mm-hmm. it's like that. But it's the story of Kristen Lovin's daughter from her teenage years to when she dies, mm-hmm. and so it's three books. And I discovered it when I was reading um, a writer with the Washington Institute. Her name was Kate Harris. And then also Steve Garber when they were both with the Washington Institute. And she said, and then he agreed, that Kristen Lobbin's Daughter was one of the books that presented really what it meant to be human. Mm. It was, and I was like, wow, I'm really curious about That's that. That's a huge It's like compliment. huge to say that. Yeah. And, and despite the fact that there is some, some theology about grace that's different than my tradition, it really is a story about a woman and her humanity and her struggle and I might not have had the same type of struggles that she has she was very fiery but um it it's, it's a book that's worth reading at different times in your life because okay. of 
of it. So I would say John Newton, John Calvin, and um, Sig Sigrid Umstead, Kristen Robinsar. I forget, you need to read the, the most recent translation. Okay. I forget who wrote that. I think it was Trina Noonally. Read that translation. Okay. Because the earlier translation does make it a little bit harder to read. Okay. But the Trina's translation is just a lovely translation to read. Okay. So. All right. Those are the three books I would recommend. Thank you. I will pull all of those also for the episode notes as well as include all the places that you can follow along with Leslie and her writing because it's wonderful. Thank you. Um, I'm so glad that you're willing to come on The Commonplace. I'm really grateful. Thank you so much. As I say goodbye to you for the season break, let me leave you with one reminder from Miss Mason. It may be that the souls of all children are waiting for the call of knowledge to awaken them to delightful living. In case you forget, this is your baseline. This is your why. We do all of this for the children's sake. I'll see you guys next season. <laughs>